Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob podcast. Got a good solo pod dialed up for you today. If you missed it, by the way, uh, I got a great spring game recap podcast with former Husker linebacker Bo Rude uh, that is up on the podcast feed. We recorded it about an hour after the spring game concluded, just some some gut reaction thoughts to what we saw in the Nebraska spring game. We also have recorded a few other Husker football pods over the last two weeks, so just go check out the podcast feed. You'll be able to get your Husker football fix, and uh, I, I know Bo and I will have you covered with a ton of Husker football content as we are officially into the offseason, into the summer, as you got guys... Now entering the portal, we'll see if Nebraska picks up anybody else. You got to get obviously to under eighty-five scholarships, which is going to take a little while for while for Matt Rule and company to to figure that out. Uh, but certainly the uh, the there's no shortage of things to talk about as we are in the maiden voyage of the Matt Rule era. Um, reminder: you can email me nick at nickbod.com. Uh, always uh, checking out the email, so hit me up. Okay, on the pod today, got some thoughts on Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, and all the transfers that have gone down at Colorado. I got some thoughts on Creighton basketball with the three big Blue Jays entering the draft, but I want to start with this. So I'm taping this. It's Wednesday, April 26th. It's about 9 o'clock, about 9.30 p.m. Central Time. And this afternoon, I saw a tweet that felt like a big, big gut punch to Fred Hoiberg and Nebraska basketball. Hunter Salas will transfer to Wake Forest. He's heading to the ACC to play for Steve Forbes in Wake Forest. And big, big news. Obviously, Creighton was on Hunter Salas a little bit, but Nebraska was on Hunter Salas heavy. Hunter Salas, he visited Wake Forest last week. He visited Nebraska over the weekend during the spring game. And he was he was with Bryce McGowan's. He was on the sidelines for the spring game. And ultimately, just a few days after his visit, Hunter Salas has decided he wants to be a demon deacon and not a husker or even a blue jay. So let, let me first say this. Brutal blow for Fred Hoiberg in Nebraska. It is a way bigger blow to Nebraska than it is to Creighton. Nebraska needed Hunter Salas way more than Creighton did. And I think to be honest with you, I think Hunter Salas wanted to go to Creighton, but Creighton just couldn't guarantee him enough playing time for next year. And that was kind of, it was a pretty straightforward there. But I think Nebraska really needed Hunter Salas on a variety of levels. They they needed, they need his talent, but they also need what Hunter Salas could kind of represent, like another in-state dude playing for Nebraska, a big-time Omaha player, high school player going to Nebraska. It was kind of all-encompassing with Hunter Salas. Like, it wasn't just Hunter Salas, the player. It was like everything that was surrounding him as it pertained to 
you know, why he was important to Nebraska. Nebraska needed to land Salas for production on the floor, and they needed the intangible value of landing him off the floor. In my opinion, like as I was playing this out in my head after the the visit and wondering what was going to happen, to me, Hunter Salas would have instantly been the face of the program. Tons of playing time, tons of freedom to score. He he probably he, my guess is he had a huge nil deal at Nebraska, and he still said no thanks. Ugh, not gonna lie, I saw that tweet. And it, I was like, oh, man, that is a rough Tuesday for Fred Hoiberg and Nebraska basketball. So in, in kind of unpacking this thing, here's, here's how I think Hunter Salas looked at this whole thing. Let me attempt to kind of guess what Hunter Salas was thinking. So with Creighton, like I said, Creighton couldn't offer or guarantee Hunter Salas the playing time that he was wanting. He was coming off a, a bench role at Gonzaga. He entered the transfer portal to find a bigger role. And with, for now on paper, Shireman coming back, Trey Alexander potentially coming back, Arthur Kaluma potentially coming back, and the signing of Utah State transfer Stephen Ashworth, Hunter Salas was not going to start for Creighton, like right now, Greg McDermott probably couldn't sit down with Hunter Salas and his parents and say, you are going to start. Again, that's as of right now. So I think the Creighton-Hunter Salas situation was, was pretty simple and straightforward. Salas was looking for a starting role, a lot of minutes, expanded, bigger opportunity. Creighton couldn't guarantee him that next year. With Nebraska, it's harder to kind of say. My guess is, to a certain degree, I can only read into it thinking that Hunter Salas looked at the roster and just didn't love it and probably didn't buy into the idea that the program was was ready to win at a high enough level for him as well. Like, I, I still have – I have no idea what Nebraska's point, point guard situation is because there, it's – and the reason I bring that up is because I disagree with this idea that Hunter Salas is a point guard. Like I saw, I think Sam McEwen wrote about it in the Omaha World Herald about how I think how Nebraska is now 0 for 4 for going after point guards and threw Salas in that category. And listen, I think there's a chance Hunter Salas is looking to maybe have an expanded ball handling role. But I, I just, I, I do not view Hunter Salas as a point guard. I think that's kind of crazy, in my opinion. I think Salas is a pure wing. But any way you want to view it, I guess Hunter Salas just didn't buy into the fit for the system for him and maybe who he'd be playing with as well. So it's just a brutal br- blow for, for Hoiberg in Nebraska. You know, Hunter Salas says no. Latrell Reitzel says no. He's going to Alabama from Omaha Central, Cal State Fullerton transfer. Isaac Trout, Grand Island kid, goes to Virginia. He hits the portal. He says no. He's going to Creighton. John Tanji, Omaha kid, goes to Colorado State, hits the portal. He he's Nebraska wants him. He says no. He's going to Missouri. So the quest to find another in-state face of the program type guy that. Sam Greasel was this last year, has 
been a struggle over the last couple of months. And I hate to do this, but the juxtaposition of Creighton having four in-state kids and Nebraska having zero right now in terms of scholarship dudes is is just not a great look, right? Creighton's got Shireman, Trout, Jason Green, Josiah Dotzler. All four in-state kids. And I talked about this on the podcast a, a couple of weeks ago, but I really saw the value of Greasel in this regard and the importance of it in this regard. And I think at some point, Nebraska's got to start landing some of these talented in-state kids, whether that's out of the transfer portal or out of high school. That's why I thought Hunter Salas was so important. Landing an Omaha native who's a former McDonald's All-American five-star recruit would have been huge. So I am bummed for Hoiberg in Nebraska. And I'm also, I'll, I'll bring it back, I'm really concerned about who's Nebraska's point guard ne- going to be next year. Bryce Williams, the Charlotte transfer, is a wing. Rank Mass is a five-man. The Bradley transfer, those are your two portal additions so far. I just, listen, I just don't think you can go into next year with your point guard situation looking like a combination of Jamarcus Lawrence, Sam Hoiberg, and Ramel Lloyd. Like, you just can't do it. In my opinion, that's not a postseason point guard situation right there. It's just not. And it's pretty clear, obviously, that Fred Hoiberg has been all over the portal searching for a point guard, right? And he's come up empty. He had Kirk Creaser, the Arizona transfer. He visits. He goes to West Virginia. Javion McCollum, the Siena transfer. Nebraska's on him. He goes to Oklahoma. Latrell Reitzel, the Cal State Fullerton transfer from Omaha Central. He, he is recruited by Nebraska in the portal. He goes to Alabama. All those guys say no. So we'll see where Fred Hoiberg goes from here. Because obviously now the portal is starting to dry up a bit for difference-making portal point guards that are out there. And I, I'm just I'm pretty concerned right now on that on the point guard front. And you know what's interesting? I'll end I'll end with the with saying this with Hunter Salas. I'll be honest with you guys, I'm not even one hundred percent convinced Hunter Salas is gonna be a great player wherever he goes. I know that's kind of weird to say about all this because, you know, my reaction obviously was like, wow, oh, brutal blow for Nebraska. I mean, the reality is he he, he averaged – he didn't he wasn't a starter at Gonzaga and he only averaged four points per game. Now, don't get me wrong. He is really talented, right? He's a five-star for a reason. But in terms of the of flashes of whoa at, that, at the college level – I haven't really seen it yet from from Salas. But to be fair, I think Hunter Salas got caught in that bench roll, bench world where you're only playing 12 to 15 minutes per game and it's hard to really settle in and ball out. I've been in that world. It, it, It can be really tough. So I could see, and this is what makes him really intriguing, I could see if you give Hunter Salas 25, 28, 30 minutes a game, I think he could be a totally different player. I can see that. So we'll see what what ends up happening now with, with him at Wake Forest. It would have been exciting if he could have been a Nebraska Cornhusker or a Creighton Blue Jay. I mean, obviously, selfishly, 
I was hoping to see Salas land at one of either Creighton or Nebraska. I root like hell for in-state kids, so I am I'm I'm always I'm rooting for Chucky Hepburn. I'm rooting for Hunter Salas. Like I think he could have been incredibly valuable for Fred Hoiberg in Nebraska. Like it's hard to even quantify how value valuable he could have been, both on the floor and of what he would have represented. Another in-state kid trying to, you know, change that around Nebraska basketball. We saw how the 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 fans reacted to Greasel. I think that makes a difference. And it's just it's amazing to me that he could have been the face of the program, probably had a huge NIL deal, could have been a starter, play a ton, lots of shots, and he still was like, no. Frustrating, man. It was an uh, there was an audible ugh, like legitimate gut punch when I saw that news today. So we'll see how Hunter Salas does at Wake Forest. But man, I was really I was I thought it was a long shot with him at Creighton, just because of all the things we we laid out with the with the roster as it currently stands. I thought I really felt like Nebraska was gonna have a shot to get him. Didn't work out. Frustrating. Speaking of Creighton, so in. In not surprising news, all three of Arthur Kaluma, Trey Alexander, and Ryan Kalkbrenner have, have officially entered the NBA draft while keeping and maintaining their college eligibility, keeping their eligibility alive. So leaving that door open for them to, to return to college. This was totally expected. But nevertheless, for Creighton, when those three three guys officially declare and are going to go through the process, it obviously creates some major anxiety for the next month and what things could look like for next season, right? Like, it's got to be weird because on one hand, Greg McDermott and the staff, they got to be rooting like hell for those guys' dreams to come true and to get drafted in the NBA, right? I'm sure they would... On one hand, love nothing more than to, you know, Greg McDermott would love for his phone to ring and his Trey Alexander, and he was like, man, I just got done with a workout with the Blazers, and the Blazers love me. They said they're going to take me at pick 28 or whatever, you know, whatever it is. But in the meantime, on the other hand, it's like there's also like Greg McDermott has a job to do to be the head coach of Creighton, and it's it's hard to wet all those things, right? In the meantime, what a tough situation to manage for Greg McDermott and the staff. Because, again, there's a version of all of this where Kalkbrenner, Trey Alexander, and Kaluma are all gone for next year. And if that's the case, obviously Creighton's in big trouble next year, like finishing 7th or 8th or ninth in the Big East-type trouble. Of course, there's a version where of this where all three come back, or maybe even just you know Trey Alexander and Kalkbrenner come back, and Creighton's a preseason top ten Final Four caliber team. So to me, it's just it's wild to sit here on April 26th and project into next year for Creighton. It's just wild the wide range, the wide spectrum of outcomes here. You return everybody, Kalkbrenner's back, Alexander's back. You're looking, it is game on, preseason top 10 team. Oh, my gosh, they're going to get back to the Elite Eight and get over the hump, get to the Final Four. Or it's like, whoosh, boy, it's going to be Steven Ashworth and, oh, boy, Mason Miller and and Fred King and 
may Isaac trap like all of a sudden it's it's a lot of oh boy. And so it's just it's interesting the the wide range of outcomes here. And what's tough is Greg McDermott's probably sitting here and is in a tough spot because for him, like really try to put yourself in his shoes for a second. Like you can't assume someone like Trey Alexander is is gonna be gone and recruit over him. Because what have happened what happens if Trey comes back, right? Like I don't even know how you do that on the recruiting trail. How you what do you do there? Same thing with Kaluma and Kalkbrenner. How do you how do you manage that? And with how the timeline of all this falls, those three that have entered the draft, they have until May 31st to withdraw their name from the draft. So it, again, this could play this could last for another month here. And Greg McDermott's hands could kind of be tied until then. Now it's a good problem to have, to have good enough players to be legit draftable players in the NBA. But it still makes it, it makes it a tough to kind of manage your roster and, and project for next year just in case the worst case scenario unfolds and all three guys don't come back. You know, if if all three wait until May 31st. The portal is probably dried up pretty good by then, and finding legitimate replacements for those guys becomes almost impossible. So it's an interesting, challenging thing to deal with. I haven't moved off my prediction from a few weeks back where that I think Trey Alexander and Kalkbrenner are coming back, and my my prediction is that Arthur Kaluma is, is, is gone. That's my guess. I think Kaluma's ready to turn the page and get his pro career started. That's my that's my guess. And I think Kalkbrenner and Trey Alexander, uh, they I think they return. That's my guess. But I was, you know, I was thinking about I was thinking about Trey Alexander and Kalkbrenner the other day. I was thinking about those two. Just after the official news of those guys, you know, entering the draft and all this stuff, and I just got to really thinking about those two guys. I remember, and I'm just being honest with you guys. I remember walking out of the arena, the CHI Health Center it was after a game. I can't remember which game. I was talking to someone. It was either D Marinas, Matt D Marinas, or Johnny Atawa, maybe. Might have been someone in the athletic administration staff as we were just kind of walking out of the arena as, as a game had, had come and gone. And this was maybe like late January of Trey Alexander's freshman year. And, and we were kind of talking about the young players, talking about Kaluma, we talked about Nemhard and talking about Trey Alexander. And I remember saying, I'm not sure about Trey, man. I don't know. I, I remember saying, I like him as a role guy, but I'm not sure he can be a star. And what's amazing is I think a lot of people would have agreed with my little oversimplified, broad assessment of Trey Alexander late January of, of Trey's freshman year. Where I was like, ah, I think, you know, could be a good role player at Creighton. I'm not sure if he's ever going to be a, a star. To contrast that moment to now, him, him entering the NBA draft and going to go through that process. 
it it is an astonishingly remarkable rate of improvement. Keep in mind, I, I looked this up. First 19 games of, of Trey Alexander's career at Creighton, he only scored in double figures three times. And beyond just, like, not scoring, my thing was he couldn't shoot. Like, for me, I just kind of think, like, if you can't shoot, you're, you instantly have a, have a ceiling as a player, in my opinion. Like, if you can't shoot, you better be otherworldly good at a bunch of other... You better be Rondo at a defense, passing, controlling the game. Like, you better be out of this world in other things. So my thing was, like, I, he can't shoot. So to think about how he... To think about that and then think about how he played after Ryan Nemhard went down at the end of... of their freshman year, finishing the year and all that stuff, thinking about that night at St. John's when Nemhard went down and then thinking how Alexander has played from that point on, it is incredible how much better he's gotten. Incredible. He went from a bad shooter to a 41% three-point shooter. Like, and a guy that that is is making like nine threes in games. You're like, he went from a bad shooter to a 40% guy and a legit reliable stud score, closing out NCAA tournament games, making plays. There have been, I just, I was, there have been a lot of incredible player development improvement stories at Creighton under Greg McDermott. You know, Kyrie Thomas, Justin Patton, Martin Crumple, Christian Bishop, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Damian Jefferson. A lot of amazing stories of guys that have just amazing progression and improvement at, at Creighton. But I don't think any of those guys improved faster at an, and at a more rapid rate than Trey Alexander did from late February of his freshman year to now the end of his sophomore year. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And I, and I was thinking about that, just like the, just the, this arc of improvement from Alexander. And that's something that I that I would think would make him intriguing to to NBA teams in this draft process, and thinking like, man, here's a guy. Look at look at how his improvement, the rate of it. You got to think like the best basketball is still ahead of him. He's just scratching the surface. He's got more steps and room to grow and improve. 
I got to think that's maybe kind of an intriguing component to the uh, Trey Alexander player to evaluate in the draft. But it is just, it is incredible. There's been a lot of amazing player improvement stories at, at Creighton. Trey Alexander in this short period of time is up there. I don't think anybody's improved faster than he has. And with Kalkbrenner, and I was thinking about, about Big Kalk, and, and I, I was thinking about this. You know, Kalkbrenner, he isn't, you know, top five greatest Blue Jays of all time. Not, not even close. But, man, he's putting together one of the greatest resumes a Blue Jays ever had. Think about this. Right now, after Ryan Kalkbrenner's junior year, he's been at Creighton for three years. Ryan Kalkbrenner, three years, three NCAA tournament appearances, six NCAA tournament wins, most of any by any Creighton player in program history, one Elite Eight, one Sweet 16, two-time Big East Defensive Player of the Year, first-team All-Big Big East, two straight years, top five field goal percentage in the country. He's sixth all-time in field goal percentage for his career in all in the history of college basketball. I mean, damn. That's quite a resume. Again, I don't think he's Doug McDermott, Kyle Korver, Paul Silas, Benoit Benjamin, Rodney Buford. I, I don't. He's not. I don't think he's quite there yet. But his resume, oh man, two-time Big East Defensive Player of the Year, Elite Eight, Sweet Sixteen, most NCAA tournament wins by any player in program history. Like, damn, pretty good. So I was just thinking about those two guys, and I had those thoughts. You know, Trey Alexander's improvement, Kalkbrenner's resume that he's built up. We'll see what happens with the draft process over the next month. By the way, Creighton signed a high school wing kind of out of nowhere. Sterling Knox, 6'6", three-star wing out of Vegas. Um, he signed and is on the way. You know, in some ways, I, I, I don't mind it because you got to have some developmental guys. And, and listen, you can't play everybody, right? you got to have some guys that are kind of there to maybe develop. And maybe he's a diamond in the rough. Who knows? But Creighton's got one more scholarship left as of right now. And it is this is an enormously important moment for this scholarship for Creighton and, and Greg McDermott and those guys to go get an impact guy, in my opinion. They need another wing badly. So we'll see how this next month goes with the draft process. And then we'll see in the meantime with this one more scholarship left what Creighton wants to do with it, who Creighton wants to bring in. I think they need another impact guy. We'll see. I'll, I'll wrap everything up with with this. I want to give my quick two cents on on Deion Sanders and Coach Prime, you know, the and the mass exodus of all of the players into the transfer portal in Boulder. At last check, again, there's a story that hit the Athletic today that was pretty interesting, and at, I'm taping this again. It's it's April 26, Tuesday, Wednesday, April 26. Fifty one players have entered the portal. 
since Deion Sanders took the job at Colorado. Over 50. That is mind-blowing. And after the spring game, which their spring game was this past weekend, there have been almost there's been over 20 that have have gone into the portal and have basically been told you got to go. And like I said in that in that athletics story with some quotes from some guys that have were that have hit the portal from Colorado some quotes in there and some anecdotes in there that make you go, ooh, ew, that's not. One offensive lineman whose dad played at Colorado in the early 90s was told he was cut on Monday. Another quote uh, saying Dion didn't even didn't know, didn't probably even know half the kids' names he got rid of. A lot of anecdotes of, you know, it was the first time I ever met with Coach Prime when he told me I had to go. Didn't talk to a lot of the guys. One, one player couldn't get practice film to help show new schools in the portal that that trying to land in a new spot. There apparently was reports of a, of a major division between the old players and the newcomers with how the new coaches treated them. Some of the players ripped the camera constantly following Deion Sanders around because he's filming a, a documentary that's going to come out. So there's there's just a lot in it going on. And for me, first of all, I think overall, it's a bad look for Deion Sanders. In my opinion, to me, from from the video of his first team meeting, basically telling the players to leave and and they already had a bunch of players that were going to come and replace them, from, from that video till now, I'd say the outside perception and just I shouldn't say just the perception is that Deion Sanders doesn't really care about the players he only cares about himself the camera following him everywhere for the documentaries filming he just says he doesn't seem invested in any of uh, uh, in in a lot of these kids at all you are completely expendable to him like, the second he doesn't see value in you as a player, you're gone. Cut. Gone. That's the perception. And he's taking some heat right now. But I was I was thinking about reading that story, seeing Twitter kind of some Twitter Twitter mob kind of coming after him a little bit. Even, even some of my internal thoughts, like, man, it's a bad look, blah, blah, blah. But I was thinking about it, and what's funny is, Deion Sanders is doing what a lot of players are doing. They are utilizing the portal in an attempt to improve their situation, right? I'd say that's a fair way to phrase everything. I'd say it's a fair way to phrase what the players are doing. They're utilizing the transfer portal in an attempt to improve their situation from their perspective. It's what a lot of people are doing. And I'd say that's a fair way to phrase what Deion Sanders is doing. He's utilizing the transfer portal in an attempt to improve his situation, in his opinion. So you could argue 
Well, why is it understandable and okay for one individual to utilize the portal in that regard and not the other? Are coaches supposed to be above that? I kind of personally think they are, but I'm just kind of using this as food for thought. But I can see how it's maybe a little hypocritical in nature when the spirit of the portal can only be used by the players and not the head coach. But to me, Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, is kind of the perfect example of the new age of of major college basketball and college football. Like, the the combination of the, the transfer portal and NIL, it's a dangerous combination, a combination that erodes at the loyalty of college football and college basketball. It, it, it erodes at the loyalty and, and that deeper something that makes college football and college basketball different from professional sports. College basketball players are using the portal like it's free agency and testing the market and going to sometimes the highest bidder. Deion Sanders had cuts this week. Like it's hard knocks on HBO. Read the I'm gonna read I'm gonna I'm gonna read this quote from the athletic. Or just kind of this like a couple paragraphs from this athletic story. Here we go. This is from the athletic. Travis Gray thought he had Sunday off the day after Colorado football's nationally televised snowy spring game showcase. The offensive lineman was eating lunch at Olive Garden. He had a meeting with Coach Deion Sanders scheduled for 3 p.m. Monday until his phone buzzed with a text message from offensive line coach Bill O'Boyle. That meeting had been moved up. It started in 30 minutes. An apologetic O'Boyle was waiting in the lobby of the team facility as they made their way towards Sanders' office. O'Boyle told him what was happening. He's walking with me and said, this is a quote, he's walking with me and said, hey, buddy, you're going to get cut today. I'm sorry to tell you this. I didn't want you to hear it from Coach Prime. I wanted you to hear it from my mouth. I didn't want to cut you, but we had to cut five offensive linemen, and you were the last one. That's what Travis Gray told The Athletic on Tuesday evening. Think about this. It's This is Travis Gray saying his offensive line coach calling him into the facility, putting his arm around him and walking him up to, to the office and say, hey, buddy, you're going to get you're going to get cut today. I'm sorry to tell you this. We, you know, we had to cut five offensive linemen. That sounds like HBO hard knocks. That sounds like the NFL. That sounds like cuts. That sounds like cut day. Does it not like anybody that's watched Hard Knocks? You can literally, I've you've seen that a million times, and we always talk about how it's the most like it's the hardest part about the business of the NFL, cutting players, all this. Like hearing that sounds like a scene from HBO Hard Knocks. And listen, I'm not naive. This certainly isn't the first time guys have been run off or forced to transfer, right? Like that this has been happening for a while. But to the degree of 50 over 50 players, like this whole thing at Colorado feels different. It feels cold. 
It feels transactional. And in some ways, like I just said, it feels like professional sports. The thing that separated college sports from pro was was just wasn't there wasn't a lot of that, right? Like the thing that separated college sports from pro was that feeling that there was something deeper, that bond between coach and player, player and the college, the fans and the player. And sometimes when you you know you read stories like this and you see what's going on, it just feels like that feeling is fading and fading fast. Not to even mention, you know, conference realignment that crushed another pillar of college sports, and that was rivalries, geographical connections to schools that you played and built a history with in your conference, all those things. Over 50 players have transferred since Deion Sanders arrived. Four months, over 50 players in the portal. Between that, reading a quote like that from Travis Cray in The Athletic of how he got cut, to stories like Ryan Nemhard leaving Creighton, Hunter Dickinson leaving Michigan, like... Sometimes you have to stop and really soak it in. This is way different. And, you know, it is what it is. You can't put the genie back in the bottle with all this stuff. Conference realignment has happened. NIL is happening. Transfer portal, it is happening. And I'm not trying to do the whole sob and cry and whine for the old way of college sports. I mean, that ship has sailed. And listen, I'm... T- I, I still love college football and college basketball. I just think sometimes you have to stop and kind of take inventory of all that is happening and really try to soak it up. And to me, this Coach Prime thing, combined with everything else, with the portal and NIL, everything's going on, it's just it's pretty freaking wild how fast things have evolved with college sports. And I just want I just wanted to say some of this stuff on the pod, man. All this feels like that that Ferris Bueller quote. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. A Heard at Sports Network production.